Welcome to Pop Culture Rx, where we sit down with a medical expert and talk through various health-related topics circulating in today's media. We've got you covered. An unexpected health condition can happen to anyone at any time, celebrity or not. In our discussions, you'll hear from a variety of professionals sharing insight and advice on these topical conditions. Hello and welcome to Pop Culture Rx. And today we are talking about a recent coming to the scene. Amelia Clark, known for her role as Daenerys Targaryen on HBO's Game of Thrones, revealed prior to the last season of the show that she suffered not only one, but two life-threatening brain aneurysms during her role as the Mother of Dragons. And today we have with us Dr. Thomas Steinecke, chairman of the JFK Neuroscience Institute. And we're going to kind of dive in and talk about Amelia and her brain aneurysms and all that kinds of stuff to make sense of it all. But first, I want to know, Dr. Steinecke, what made you choose neurosurgery? Well, originally I was studying the visual system. I was considering being an ophthalmologist. Um, But then I rotated through neurology and ophthalmology and then ultimately neurosurgery and just fell in love with the the pace of neurosurgery and the type of conditions they treat and um, actually how ill the patients were and, and how much of a difference we could make in their lives. Very cool. And I also must make note on this podcast that this particular podcast that we're recording today has been rescheduled like three times because Dr. Steinecke is amazing and has been called into surgery for a slew of things now, I feel like. So if you're not the guy, I would be shocked. Uh, ironically, the three times we've rescheduled have been because of uh, patients with aneurysms. So, so I, you're the expert today. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so let's dive in. What is a brain aneurysm? It is uh, actually a weakness in the blood vessel. And uh, what happens is the pressure of the blood inside the vessel has a tendency to balloon it out and to cause that weakness to get bigger. It develops like a little balloon, and then eventually that balloon will will rupture, will open up and cause the the vessel to bleed. That actually makes a lot of sense because Amelia described her brain aneurysm as excruciating pain, like an elastic band snapped in her head, that there was an enormous pressure, she couldn't stand, she couldn't walk. Are all these things normal for brain aneurysms? Yes, when a brain aneurysm ruptures, you're, it's an artery or high-pressure vessel. It's basically pushing blood in and around the brain, so and outside the vessels. And so it increases the pressure inside your brain considerably, causing severe headaches, nausea and vomiting, and often loss of consciousness, and unfortunately death in, in, in a high percentage of patients. Are there any, you listed a bunch of different things happening at the time of the aneurysm, but what about pre-aneurysm? Like, is there a special feeling in your brain where you're like, oh, I should get to the hospital. I feel an aneurysm coming on. Yeah, it's um, one of the dangers of the condition is that you really don't have much in the way of symptoms until the aneurysms rupture. There are certain types that 
rarely will cause a neurological uh, problem. For instance, there's a type of aneurysm that can cause double vision uh, or your pupil to dilate. And uh, in those instances, we actually have a warning that the aneurysm is about the rupture. And so those patients are extremely lucky because they have those symptoms, a doctor sees them, and, and then they make the diagnosis so they get their aneurysm treated before it ruptures. Most people are not so lucky. It's usually silent and, until the aneurysm ruptures and, and then causes major issues. So I'm going to get a little gross right now. So the, the aneurysm ruptures in your brain. Is the blood like pooling somewhere? Like is there a place like where it's like a sewer and it kind of collects everything? Like it often pulls at the base of the brain okay. uh, in what's called the basilar cisterns. Uh, the brain is surrounded by fluid, uh, mm -hmm. by what's called cerebral spinal fluid. It helps, uh, it almost acts as a bit of a shock absorber inside the skull. And so the blood literally replaces that fluid and forces that fluid out. And so suddenly your brain is not surrounded by fluid, it's surrounded by blood and high pr under high pressure. So that causes a lot of irritation to the brain, causes severe headaches and the symptoms that we had talked about. Yeah. What causes, you know, a brain aneurysm? Is there any kind of like, you know, for lung cancer, you shouldn't smoke. For, you know, other types of cancers, there's screenings. Like, is there a particular cause to brain aneurysm or risk factors that, you know, we could try and dial back? Sure. Many of the risk factors for heart disease are also, and stroke are heart risk factors for uh, cerebral aneurysms, namely high blood pressure, um, high cholesterol, and the buildup of cholesterol and, and lipids inside the blood vessels. Any condition that will make them weak. And those, uh, so a lot of those risk factors that we hear about heart disease will do that, including smoking. Smoking is, a, a, if you have an aneurysm, you have to avoid smoking because that's a, uh, significant risk factor for subarachnoid hemorrhage and for the aneurysm to rupture. And um, so beyond that, there are conditions that are more associated with uh, aneurysms. There are conditions that affect the integrity of the blood vessel and make it weak. Um, for instance, there's a condition called fibromuscular dysplasia, and it causes the blood vessels to be weak, and those patients will have a higher incidence of aneurysms. Also, patients, it's, there's a genetic link. So if you've ever had anyone in your family who's had a ruptured aneurysm, your risk is significantly higher than somebody who's never had an aneurysm. So in those patients, and my patients who have an aneurysm, I always suggest screening their first-degree relatives, their, their children or brothers and sisters, uh, to ensure they don't have aneurysms as well. So aneurysms is something you could technically screen for. You can screen for them in high, what we call high-risk populations. Okay. If the incidence of aneurysms are probably about 1 in 50 to 1 in 100 people will have like a little small aneurysm. The ones that actually rupture and cause a problem, it's probably more in 1 in 10,000 patients. Wow. So they're more common than, than most people think. So routine screening is generally not advised, but if you have, high, if you have risk factors, sudden deaths in your family that are unexplained are thought to be due to a stroke or hemorrhage inside the brain, um, other relatives with aneurysms, then certainly those patients should get screened. So you mentioned stroke. Is there a difference between aneurysm and stroke? Yeah. It's... Um, some people consider 
subarachnoid hemorrhage a type of stroke. It's, it's simply um, a lot of docs consider anything that happens with the blood vessels inside the brain is stroke. More traditionally, a stroke is where a blood vessel clots off and uh, doesn't allow blood to flow to a certain part of the brain, and that part of the brain uh, dies and doesn't function anymore. Whereas the aneurysms are simply a hemorrhage inside of the brain. So they're on the continuum of hemorrhages inside the brain, but a special type of hemorrhage. So, so a stroke is like a blockage, whereas an aneurysm is like a burst. Yes, it's a bleed. It's an actual hemorrhage that happens in, over the surface of the brain. And sometimes the blood actually uh, cuts into the brain and actually hemorrhages inside the brain as well. All right, I found a crazy find. So, of course, before we met today, I did a lot of research on what kind of questions I should ask and different risks and different stories that people have written. And some of the possible causes to brain aneurysms scared me. So some of these causes that they listed were neck massages, chiropractic treatment, coughing or sneezing hard, forcefully blowing your nose, yoga poses, and singing. Are we safe? I have a long ride ahead of me today. I'm visiting friends in Rhode Island. I love to sing in the car, should I not? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you had a known aneurysm, maybe not. But um, now it's, those are all associated with a potential aneurysm rupture if you already had one. The likelihood that you have one is 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 low uh and let me step that back because i don't want to scare anybody uh, singing <laughs> certainly doesn't cause aneurysms let's <laughs> put that right out there singing and a lot of the things that you're talking about certainly does not cause aneurysms what happens in the kind of pop culture when you're talking about medicine is you'll have somebody who suffered a subarachnoid hemorrhage and they'll they'll relate it to while well, they were singing and they they had their hemorrhage Well, they probably would have had their hemorrhage had they been singing or not. It just so happens that they were singing. And so then it gets linked, oh, I must have had my hemorrhage because I sang. There's absolutely no evidence that singing causes aneurysms. (laughs) Um, the, The hard chiropractic manipulations, those typically those can cause what we call a dissection of the the arteries in the neck and so i always caution patients that if you have a a very good chiropractor somebody really knows what they're doing uh, then it's safe otherwise as a neurosurgeon i'm pretty uncomfortable with manipulations of the neck just because i've seen dissections which means an injury of the artery which is kind of leads to a type of aneurysm with uh chiropractic massage and and manipulations so all those dark alley chiropractors don't go to but Um, we could sing in the car absolutely sing away back into like reality how are brain aneurysms treated? So obviously you've been pulled into surgery for them. Is that the only way you can treat a brain aneurysm? Yeah, surgery is actually a more traditional way, although the techniques have significantly refined over the years. There's essentially two main ways. One is what we call interventional, where we go in and embolize the aneurysm from inside. So much like you for the cardiac cast, where they put a little catheter in the blood vessels, instead of making a right turn to the heart, uh, they just go straight up into the blood vessels of the brain. 
and they actually pack material inside the little balloon. And, and then it prevents blood from going in the balloon, basically clots it off. Okay. So that's one way of treating it. Another way is they'll put a stent so and prevent the blood from directly going into the aneurysm. So it's basically putting a, a tube inside the vessel to prevent blood from going in the aneurysm, and that can treat it as well. Certain aneurysms, they can't safely do either. And so then we will take those aneurysms to surgery, and we basically will carefully dissect over the surface of the brain, find the aneurysm, and reconstruct it from the outside. We'll literally put a little clip over the connection between the artery and the aneurysm to prevent the blood going into the, into the little sac. Uh, sometimes the aneurysm incorporates the blood vessel, so the blood vessel is actually dilated. And so there's a way that we put clips on to reconstruct the blood vessel. Okay, that's real tedious work because I know blood vessels, I mean, just in my hand alone, are like smaller than a piece of fishing wire. Yes, it's, um, it's very technical work in... The aneurysms are typically more towards the base of the brain, so it's very meticulous work to to dissect down there and to uh, uh, dissect between the lobes of the brain to get to what's called the circle of Willis. So yes, it, it takes several hours to get there, and then it's very uh, technical work um, because at any time it can rupture, and uh, rupture interoperatively can be life-threatening because uh, patients yeah. have been known to to bleed it out, frankly, on the table. And so, uh, yeah, it's just very meticulous, tedious work and um, yeah, something that, you know, as maybe I'm crazy, but it's the type of work that I love. Um, but it's very, uh, it's very elegant in a certain way as well. So It sounds it. It sounds like, a, like an artist with a painting kind of deal. Yes, and every aneurysm is a little different. You have to treat it a little bit differently. And the way you reconstruct a one is going to be very different than the way you reconstruct another one. So there's a certain art to it and a certain art to successfully treating aneurysms. Yeah. And you mentioned multiple times about, you know, whether or not you survive the aneurysm. What are your chances of surviving the aneurysm? I guess it depends on if it bursts or not, right? Yeah. So when we see a patient with a, it comes in, a lot of time patients will come in for other reasons. They'll have a headache they'll have migraine headaches. They undergo an MRI and an MRA, which it looks at the blood vessels, and they, they're found to have an aneurysm, what we call incidentally found aneurysm. Now, if those aneurysms are above a certain size, we will treat, or if they have risk factors, like a family members had an aneurysm, if they smoke, if there's certain risk factors, so we will treat electively. When we treat patients electively, their risks are significantly uh, less than when they rupture. Mm -hmm. uh, the risk is maybe 1% or less in, in, in experienced hands. Uh, versus somebody who doesn't know that they have an aneurysm and a burst. And they, the main problem is the, the hemorrhage. It causes uh, increased pressure inside the brain and causes brain injury just right then and there. And in fact, uh, about a third of patients die immediately from aneurysms. Wow. Uh, and then of the people who survive, uh, another about half of that group dies in the hospital through their treatment not because of treatment, just because they've had such a severe brain injury, they can have brain swelling, and there's a lot of things that the blood causes in and around the brain that can lead to major problems. So if you have a major rupture, 
the likelihood that you're going to do okay is only about 25%. Wow. So Amelia was incredibly lucky because so she had two brain aneurysms now. They both ruptured. And she mentioned how she was back on set six weeks later. Yes. Yeah, she was very lucky. The, the re- Reading through the article, it seemed like the first one had ruptured. She had it treated, I believe, embolized, meaning mm-hmm. from inside. Then she had the other one. She had two. The other one was watched. They made a decision to treat. And then during the treatment, she had a rupture. Mm-hmm. And, which, and then after that, she had to go to surgery. Uh, so yes, she was very lucky to do as well as she did. Yeah. Cause I mean, I I couldn't, I I had shoulder surgery when I was in high school. I didn't recover in six weeks. How do you recover in a brain and like your brain exploded basically and you're back on set in six weeks. Yeah, no, that was a remarkable recovery. And, um, yeah, most patients who have the subarachnoid hemorrhage do not have that story. Uh, she's she's one of the lucky, maybe 10%. Um, even of the 25% who eventually do very well, they're usually in the hospital two to three weeks and rehab another month or two uh, before they get to the point that they're fully recovered. So for her to be back in six weeks, is uh, that is very remarkable. She's yeah. in the top few percent of patients who undergo uh, her problem and then come out six weeks later and doing fine. Yeah. So then she also mentioned in an interview of all of her fears, you know, how she's an actress. She needs to remember her lines. And in that moment, she couldn't even remember her own name. Um, Does that, you know, is this normal for patients to feel, to lose their memory, to feel a little hopeless, you know, to lose their momentum to talk even? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's... um the, the blood in and around the brain from the hemorrhage causes a lot of irritation inflammation. It can really affect your memory center. So most patients will have complaints of short-term memory for a while. And uh, so that was a very real concern uh, that she expressed and a very common concern. And uh, so it can take weeks to months for that to get better. And some patients actually don't get better. Uh, with that said, there is a change change in people's lifestyles you know if you don't have if your memory is not as sharp as it once was a lot of patients will socially disengage they'll be embarrassed by it Um, there's a fairly high rate of depression uh, with those patients Uh, from a doctor's standpoint is we see them come in and they're they're dying and literally we put them through treatment and save their lives and then they come out and we say hey you look great but they do, but, yeah, but they, then don't they don't feel great. They're depressed. They, they, can, they know that there's been subtle changes in their brain, and uh, that can be the, the social aspects of it will linger on for, for months uh, and sometimes even years afterwards. So in terms of treatment and recovery, do you connect patients possibly with a therapist or any type of behavioral health kind of person to help combat those feelings? Sure. It's, uh, we are very fortunate uh, here at the JFK Neuroscience Institute to be in close proximity to the Johnson Rehab Institute, and they're literally right underneath of us. Uh, they're technically part of a different hospital, but they're literally right underneath of us. All our patients are evaluated by physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. And the speech therapy actually does more than just speech. They do cognitive uh, therapy as well. 
And so once they're out of the acute phase and we have them in rehab, there's all these resources that are available and that we, we help them get back to their normal lives, not only just physically, but emotionally and mentally as well. There's great resources within the rehab for psychology and psychiatry and, and, and addressing all the issues that come along with suffering a severe hemorrhage in the brain. Okay, yeah, that's great. And last but not least, how can we prevent a brain aneurysm from happening? It's um, basic healthy lifestyle. It's uh, there's certain people are going to have a brain aneurysms because they have underlying condition. Those are hard to prevent. Uh, But otherwise, healthy living, don't smoke, all the risk factors uh, to try to have a healthy heart is uh, the same thing that you want to do for your brain as well. The, the vessels are similar inside the brain and the heart. And uh, so if you keep healthy heart vessels, you're going to have healthy brain vessels. So, you know, plenty of exercise, uh, well-balanced diet. So your normals. Sleep, pretty much your normals. Your so, normals. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like every doctor I talk to, he's like, don't smoke, eat healthy, exercise. <laughs> like, all right already. Yeah, keep, you know, have... Uh, Keep an eye on your lipid profile and what your cholesterol is doing and making sure that, you know, you're in healthy levels there as well. And uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, there's no, you know, no magic bullet, so to speak, but just live as healthy a lifestyle as possible. Cool. And anything else you'd like to add to today? No, it's been a great conversation. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Absolutely. We appreciate you taking the time today from all your busy surgeries. <laughs> Thank you. The material provided through this Health You podcast is intended to be used as general information only and should not replace the advice of your physician. Always consult your physician for individual care.